When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to this thing. Those of you who follow me on Twitter already know we opted not to uh, have a regular story episode this week because that would have required Casey Tony to have to work on election night. And I had to work on the day of the election, and I also had to work today the day after the election when we're still counting ballots. And I know my nerves and my emotions uh, make everything very fraught right now for me. And it's very difficult to get things done. And while I don't have control over my deadlines, I do have control over Casey's. And so I opted to just skip this week entirely and give him some space to, to rest and, you know, hopefully not have to force himself into a situation where you he has to make a lot of creative decisions uh, and, and, you know, creative work can be taxing in its own way. Uh, so, yeah, we, we skipped out on the show. Instead, we're bringing you this. This is something that originally was going to be a piece of Patreon bonus content. This is the session zero that we did for our Nordia arc. I always record our session zeros because I want people to be able to see like the dominoes that we set up for ourselves and the way we kind of implement those story decisions and how we successfully or unsuccessfully managed to capitalize on our different ideas. If you happen to be a player or a game master, I think it's a fun way to peek into somebody else's creative process. And I think it really gives you an idea of how we approach storytelling as a group and, you know, what things we find valuable, what things we find memorable, and how we appreciate each other's ideas. You know, you can see what we were thinking and planning versus how we actually managed to implement things. And you can also sort of track how we were surprised by various decisions that got made along the way. The session zero runs about 30 minutes. Uh, you know, I will say a huge part of that runtime is bits. I left in most of those bits because we we do need bits. Uh, content warning, we do joke about the coronavirus because uh, at the time that we recorded this, it was a very distant possibility and had not evolved into the ongoing pandemic uh, that it now is. But I think people know comedians tend to joke about things that make them intensely uncomfortable. Um, also, after we have this discussion, I sort of put together some of my thoughts on uh, major things that I was trying to accomplish with Nordia, with the various character stories that I was managing. Uh, and I talk about kind of like what I was planning and hoping for and kind of how I thought those themes managed to evolve. If you are a game master, I, I think it might be an interesting resource so you can sort of compare your notes against another game master's notes. Um, if you're just interested in the process of storytelling and want to know what I'm thinking as a storyteller when I put things together, uh, it's a, I think, hopefully neat discussion that, that you might find useful or interesting in some way. 
Then I take some time to answer some of your questions. Now, I got a lot of fantastic questions from so many different people, and I'm extremely grateful for them. I did not manage to get to them all. Uh, I answered quite a few of them, though. Uh, if you had your question missed, don't worry. There will be other opportunities to ask it. Uh, you know, we for our uh, Kickstarter for for the album where we're doing a live stream, like th there'll be there'll be opportunities. Again, so many great questions. I appreciated all of them. I'm sad that I wasn't able to present them all to you, but I really like the ones that I got, and I hope you enjoy listening to them too. Uh, with all that out of the way, I'll let you get to the show so you can start thinking about something other than all of the things that you might be thinking about right now. Have fun and remember. There are no kings. Take flight. Ooh. This is me. Skyjack's world building Skyjack's Nordia. world building Nordia. That's how I, I were... will say this. Skyjack's I'm probably going to talk up here. This is Nordia. a little bit hot. Skyjack's world building Skyjack's. Nordia. Skyjack's world building Nordia. Well, well, well. Recording these, I'm going to be super mad. <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> I'm Everybody recording. hit record. Sky ABC Jack's always be cordon. <laughs> what's the, what's the cardinal rule of campaign? The CC. The CC and the CC I is ABC. <laughs> now, what was Cordon's name in the Cats movies? Bustafer Jones. Bustafer Jones. Bustafer Jones. Bustafer Jones. So you want to be what Buster type of cat Jones is he? At all times, he's a tuxedo can. cat. Quite literally, okay. a tuxedo cat. Creepy I cat. sent. Oh, I sent a great email today. Did you? Yeah. That's let me, let me, I must say, if I do say. No, I um sometimes I have fun at my job. That's fun. <sighs> hey, before before you... we get into this email story, I want to do the alignment stuff for the tracks really yep. quick. Okay. Um chaotic evil. Story. Um no. Uh, so <laughs> nice. I'm gonna say one. Johnny will say two, Liz will say three, Tyler will say four, we'll go up to eight, and then we will clap. One, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, oh, that, that clap was fucked, but hey. Johnny, uh, please tell us your story. Tell us your work well, story about the, email, the cool email you sent. <laughs> there you go. I just put it in the Twitter chat. I need to do things to keep occupied. That's fun. At my Do's job. <laughs> what? Johnny, this is yeah. fun. It was fun. Office love sent and to the heaviside later, which is uh, Johnny. I'm sorry, you're supposed to spell. Yeah, it we gotta we gotta read this email out loud. You're you're supposed to spell it with an I. Hello, Jellicle Vision oh, no. Cats. This Friday will be our monthly refrigerator clean, clean and anything Cream. not removed from the refrigerator <laughs> by end of day Friday will be chosen by Old Deuteronomy and sent to the heaviside layer. The refrigerator clean will be a little different because absolutely everything in it from the 811 refrigerator. Oh, my God. You've got too many refrigerators. Uh, will be tossed. If you have anything in the 811 refrigerator uh, that you want to save, please remove it by end of day on Friday. Thanks. How fun. Johnny I O'Mara, the, the office manager cat. Mm. That's Jellicle <laughs> Vision. Yeah, I have a good time there. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask, is 811, is that like... You're you're in like office room eight eleven or like we have three buildings. Gotcha. So eight eleven is one of the buildings. Okay, cool. 
and and Tyler only asked that question because we realize now that stealing from the 811 refrigerator would be the perfect crime. Yeah, I guess mm. you're really I mean, really you're just stealing from the trash. <laughs> but I mean like what's the address of this trash? 811 Cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool great, great. Cool. So address any nice. murders or complaints yeah. to and trash. Right, I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh God! It's too far. It's not worth it. <laughs> Tyler is very fast. Flung himself out of the room. Jump. We out should of the probably, if that Let's goes in, bleep, bleep the address. Oh, you want to? You want to bleep that out? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see I want, what Casey does. I want my death threats sent directly to my house. <laughs> Gosh. No need to get my employer involved. Hey, uh, Johnny, we've been noticing uh, that there's just been a big pile of death threats that's uh, piled up outside the Jellyvision offices. They're all addressed to you. What could this be? Um, actually, that's better resolved in a company-wide email. Hey, if you've received a death threat. It's for Johnny. <laughs> please CC Johnny. <laughs> yeah, just forward all death threats. You can forward death threats to johnny at jellyvision.com office at jellyvision.com or count dabula at jellyvision.com really really oh Ooh, boy e- eli made that for me Aww, as eli. a gift that's nice and a curse <laughs> burden solemn duty which one of us do you think is going to get the coronavirus probably me well, right? i just came off of a flight so it might be me mm. oh shit yeah probably yeah but james is going on a boat soon yeah, I, I will be going on two boats quite soon. That absolutely Ooh, double James. virus games. Double virus. Yeah, yeah you're going to get something. Corona, um, Noro, hey, some here's virus. Here's a weird thought. Uh, well, let, let me. So JPC just got back to me. He might be able oh. to do the second. Oh. Instead of the ninth, I'm gonna. Did we have a one a thing scheduled then? Yeah. Yeah, two. we've got uh, February second and February ninth. Oh, Would we go to the studio then? Huh. Well, we. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we'd figure out how we did it logistically but he'd probably show up at the studio but tyler's still in los angeles yeah tyler's still in los angeles but we well, i mean we if he's going to be here stealing from my company anyway <laughs> stealing my company garbage that's also groundhog day that's fun because it's like it's starting all over again i don't know <laughs> i've i've not seen the film <laughs> johnny when you got the job at Jellyvision, or whenever you get a new job do you ever feel like have you ever considered going by just john no no, the only times I go by John are when I like right now I'm going to physical therapy mm. and like I'm not going to fucking tell the physical therapist to call me Johnny because I, ideally I'm only going to be there for a few weeks, you know. That makes sense. And it's ju- it's just not worth my time. I don't tell like like doctors or anything like that. Uh yeah, or I'm fine with them calling people, me Elizabeth. Yeah. Um no, I have not it I could not imagine going by John. Mm-hmm. That is hilarious to me it would be very funny though it would be funny we're nickname friends we are nickname friends tyler you and i we're full name friends hell yeah james damato <laughs> tyler davis oh uh, d boys so i figured one of the things that we could do while we were recording is our jobs um, listen okay. listen why would you say <laughs> sorry why would you even i thought that? my job was to watch the bachelor but i'm not doing that tonight and our who? job oh, is that's, to talk that's for four hours Allie's and then job, come and back in a week know that john uh, who was dming uh on his twitter application was not i yeah. not i no 
We weren't sliding into anything. No. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to do a, a tiny little world building session. This this place is going to be less expansive than Bougenith. And we've already done important things like name the place that we're going to. And, yeah. and that name is Nordia. So thank you to Tyler for that. Uh, to give y'all a little bit of background on what this place is, this is a small fishing village or a small village uh, located a few weeks north of Driftwood. It's nestled on what used to be a cape that's now more of a rocky cove. The people have pushed back into hills that border a thick forest. The community survives by fishing in the cove, distilling aquavit, uh, harvesting cranberries, servicing skyships, and getting remittances from folks who have run off to become skyjacks. Because they do service skyships here, this is a place that, you know, Oromar had on his map. It's not a huge place that you would go to to, like, do major trade, but, like, you could do a little bit of trade here. With that information in mind, I'd like each of you to come up with a notable NPC and a notable physical feature for this town. After mm. that, I'll have a final question to ask each of you that will, I'm sure, be very fun. Did you? I, did we decide, or are we going to roll for what season it is? It is going to be spring, because you got to be a snake. People okay. are horny for it. Ugh, they are. Snakes are the horniest animals, I think. I think so. The, uh, snakes and cats, really. Ooh, it's you watch a snake huge... fuck a cat? Ooh. <laughs> Watch a cat fuck a snake. Oh, gosh. This podcast is bad, huh? What would be better to watch? A snake fucking a cat or a cat fucking a snake? I think a cat would have a harder time fucking a snake. Yeah. I really? Think, mm -hmm. I think the snake has more ways to go, you know? Yeah. Huh. Tyler, don't pretend like you haven't thought about this before. Uh, no, I have. It's just like I didn't realize it would come up so soon now, after I just thought of it. Good at uh, oral sex, though. Sorry, what? Wouldn't a snake be very good at oral sex, though? No. I don't think either of them no. would, because they both, both of the critters. Jaw. But it's got those pointy teeth. Yeah. And once I mean, it, I'm once assuming it... it's going to be venom-filled. And James, mm -hmm. oral sex is not a is not really jaw-invasive, I don't think. It's mostly lips. Never mind. I'm not going to talk. <laughs> no, go <laughs> on. Mm. No, no, Liz. Not... Please <laughs> give me your oral sex. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> My mother listens to the show. Oh, no. So do thousands of perverts. I mean, this would be going into the Patreon secret oh, archive, which oh, is God. exclusively listened Exclus to by our perverts. <laughs> our pervert listeners love it. I, it. No, but this is like a real thing. I need to be so careful of things that I say now because people take them so seriously. Oh, Who? God. Who takes anything you say seriously? I, I certainly do. I have two Hinder shirts now. Because of the things that I say. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, the snake would be bad at oral sex. So so would a cat. Yeah. Unless, Unless it's only using its scratchy little tongue. Oh, interesting. I don't know if and that you think would that really would make help. It good. I think it would be interesting. Okay. I'll try okay. anything twice. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, uh, now <laughs> that should have given you plenty of time <laughs> to talk about the very important world building. What if I told you that this actually cleared my brain and I need more time? Hmm. I'm back to uh, minus zero. Everyone I would believe that it would clear your brain. I do believe <laughs> that for sure. Hmm. An NPC and a feature? Yeah, an, an NPC there uh, and, and a feature. The NPC can also, if you like, be from the Church of the Slain God. We 
do have a church priest that's going to be there that I've already made up, but you know, I'm always down for more of that. Is this like we were kind of heavy handed in like the feather weaving stuff? Did we have like a feather weave like centric person in uh, Bujanith? How do you I'm mean by like, feather weave centric? Like I'm thinking of like uh, there's just like a tailor in uh, Nordia that is very well known for like the 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 fun weird things that he crafts and maybe he like his main medium is like feather weave because his clothes are like super light and all that jazz i don't know interesting okay so feather weave is wildly rare and expensive um yeah. and most people that work it would work with the red feather syndicate okay that said you know we could have some like tailor artisan buried in this place that uh is able to work with feather weave that that could become a relevant plot point if you like that idea oh yeah maybe it's just like uh i'm i'm actually not necessarily thinking of this for just a plot point but just like a character that's in the town that yeah maybe just removing the feather weave lay on and just have like a well-known tailor that is just known for like just making hot fashion Ooh, okay. I like it. I think that there's a snake festival and they do <laughs> snake races and snake okay. jousts. Uh, um, How long were you sitting on that one? Oh, since day one of <laughs> of the bird festival. Um, I think that they have in this town uh, like a springtime holiday that is more like like a Christmas type holiday, but it's just in springtime and they maybe whatever trees are sort of native to the area. I think that they bring, bring one inside. I think it is springtime Christmas. Okay. I like <laughs> spring Christmas. I do like uh, anything that will lock us into doing Christmas shit just <laughs> after those holidays are over. Mm. Really <laughs> right at the point where everybody's completely lost tolerance for any of that. Excellent. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's so explicitly Christmas. I think they just have like a holiday an equivalent. That's a, a, that's a lot holiday. like Yeah. No, okay, we will we will drill down on that in a second because that's truly great. I've put that under notable town features. It could also be Halloween, spring Halloween. Gift giving giving uh, Halloween. Ooh. Okay, we we will again I will expand on that in a in a couple minutes when I ask you all a bunch of questions about it. But, huh. but first, I want to get to other people's ideas. Do you have something specific in mind for if so? If there's church present here, do you have something in mind already for like where they hold their services? I do not actually. So if you would like to uh, contribute to that, it'd be interesting. So it's by the sea, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be? I think it would be interesting if they held services in a sea cave. Ooh, a grotto. Ooh, a grotto. I love that. And it, which is always a little bit dangerous because the sea may come back into the cave, but uh, but it's also like dark and dank and very much of their aesthetic. Truly, truly love that, Liz. That's Thank great. Thank you. More accolades, please. Mm-hmm. All right. So we still need NPCs from Tyler, or from Liz and Johnny, and town feature from Tyler. Yes. <laughs> do you have an idea? I know we talked a little bit about this a while ago, but do you know who this arc is going to sort of focus on? Uh, heavily, Johnny, it's going to focus on, I mean, this is actually one that will feature all of you really well. Mm-hmm. 
I think the strongest, though, is going to be Travis and after that, maybe Gable. To peel back the curtain a little bit. Uh, Not my curtain. <laughs> I can tell you that this is going to be kind of a pressure cooker. There's going to be a situation where you're not going to have a lot of time to deal with a very big problem, and you're going to have to figure out what to do about it. There is going to be the church here, so Gable is going to have some business. But Johnny, I've already spoken to you a little bit about the business that Travis has, so mm-hmm. that's going to be coming up. Um, did we did we chat about that on like Twitter? So I can yeah, we, we, it was re- Twitter refresh. DMs between you and me. Okay. Um, Johnny's audio is clipping a little bit. Is your waveform also? Does well, it look fine? As, as long as your just, wave looks fine. Maybe it's just your ears. Hmm. How about? Hmm. Maybe I think I it's my go- ears too because I hear it as well. Johnny. I guess we'll um, both go fuck ourselves. Huh? 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 I don't see anything okay, weird, but I also don't 100% know what I should be looking if, for. If it would be like a, a very thin like line. A very thin line? If there was like static crackle. I am not I am not seeing that. Okay, then that's probably fine. All right. Um, like, Jonnet will be a factor. Like, there is some business in here for Jonnet. Um, a be business? At least- two major bits for him um but like the mariner is also going to appear in this arc a little bit so you know jonnet will have some fretting to do is there i don't know what like a what the physical thing is like you said there's like harvesting for like cranberries and stuff Mm -hmm. what if like we make like a tangible like this is like where everybody goes to pool the cranberries together to get like juiced and um, get juiced. Ju- get juiced. <laughs> uh, I have no idea uh, outside of that. I don't know. Trying to use, probably not it. I I put down cranberry juicery. <laughs> um, oh oh I I think I have an idea that goes along with that for an NPC okay. at the juicery. They make like cranberry liquor, and so the person who's there is kind of like. I picture it like the owner of Koval. It's like a liquor bro who mm, <laughs> is like a okay. salesman. <laughs> Just like, this is some of our finest vintages. Would you like some of our finest cranberry wines and such? We have distributors yes. that go all throughout, all throughout the northern region. I, I, I love this detail specifically uh, because cranberries are one of the only berries that you wouldn't be able to make liquor from. Mm-hmm. Uh, How come? Because they don't have sugar. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So I, I kind of, I just like the idea that like, yeah, we just put our nasty tart cranberry juice in liquors and call it a day. Can we <laughs> call it bog wine? Bog wine. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Maybe the holiday is a f- cranberry related. I like that. Uh, it was well, the harvest. When do cranberries? It's fall. I just looked. Okay. <laughs> Oops, doodle. Maybe it's uh, when but, you. Ooh, what if you're drinking like last year's bog yeah. wine? Mm-hmm. This is when this is when you open the bog wine. The first. This is like the first time you open last year's bog wine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's about. It's kind of like a New Year's festival then. Yeah, that's fun. You're you're like drinking through last year's memories and purging them to make way for new ones this year that's nice yeah that's maybe 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 it's like a tradition when you're like making 
a bottle of bog wine or like you buy a bottle of bog wine not always but for the to prep for this holiday you attach either a a positive or a negative memory to it so that like you're either drinking to get past a negative memory or drinking to like remember and celebrate a positive memory that's nice what if if somebody gives hmm. you a bottle of bog wine it is considered very rude not to drink it mm, a so, bottle or like <laughs> yeah and maybe maybe it's you know not I imagine a very large bottle like yeah. yeah yeah but that means that some people will exchange them with warm memories in mind like they'll write the memory on the bottle and some people like to your ex or whatever you're like hey remember when you fucked that other person you it's, piece of uh, shit it's icing Here's some bog wine it's icing <laughs> it's, oh, it's, man. it's like when oh i know what icing is yeah oh yeah anyway. yeah is it maybe only for the duration of the festival where it's like you can't turn it down or is that like a continuous thing i, I think, think it's for the festival yeah. probably yeah also, it's kind of like it's both celebrating like great memories from the past year and like airing grievances from the past year. Mm -hmm. That's very which funny. I truly, truly love. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like the idea of a holiday that is like just celebrating like good and bad things. Mm -hmm. The passage of there's time. No... Yeah, that's fun. And also, I feel like because it's being made from cranberries which with no sugar is terrible like no matter what you're celebrating good or bad you still have to drink the shitty bog wine oh yeah. it's like yeah. malort it's awful yeah. it's got to be awful right well i i made aquavit like one of their main exports which does have flavor profiles that are not dissimilar from malort like it's a very anise forward liqueur and it, it can vary in different ways and it can be very bitter Imagining Aquavit coming together with cranberry could either be pretty good or extremely terrible. So this is really perfect. And like maybe most of the rest of the year they sell like regular drinks, but this is the one time of year where they sell their nasty bits. Yeah, you save your best stuff and your worst stuff for yes. this holiday. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think the you have to drink it before the end of the festival thing mm -hmm. has to be accompanied with like a taboo. There's got to be an or else to that. What do we think the or else is? <sighs> Maybe something to do with the forest. Like you have to go like sit in a tree or something. <laughs> yeah, well, um... I, I, I got to feel like it's going to be kind of really it's a little bit ethereal, but like it's bad luck and it's like palpable bad luck in some way. Maybe well, your, your crops are going to spoil something, mm -hmm. something nasty. Is it, is it kind of, would it kind of be like uh, a curse on your eventual harvest for next year's like festival? What if, if you drink a good bottle, it is said to add a year to your life. And if you drink, if you don't drink a bad bottle, it's said to take a year of your life away. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Word. So like, obviously you're going to drink the good ones either way. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, to, you know, one more year of like, you know, if you give it to your spouse or whatever, like one more year of like memories together. Mm -hmm. But then if you don't, if you, you drink the bad one to like get past the bad memory, you know, hopefully that extra year that you get or the extra year that you don't lose, you'll like. Yeah. You drink it to you'll purge do it better. your soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically. So not drinking it is keeping that inside your body, which will mm -hmm. kill you. 
Oh, okay. Oh. So throughout the year, you kind of build up like this negative credit, and it's only through going through all the bottles that have been gifted yeah. to you that you get back to zero. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love Dope. this so much. This is uh, uniquely difficult. Yes. Johnny, you <laughs> did mention Halloween a little bit. Yes. And uh-huh. I was wondering if we could tie death into this somehow. Like some of the themes that we're going to be dealing with in this arc are like impending doom and kind of the idea of faith versus faith not really matching up with what you see in front of you and the sort of What if part of this sort of town legend is there was like a person who years ago at the start of this festival was like just such an asshole to everyone mm-hmm. and everyone just like fucking hated this guy and everyone in town like was wronged by him in some way so during the festival he was just given like hundreds of bottles and oh, he couldn't he couldn't do it and at the end of the festival he dropped dead oh shit yeah he uh-huh. like and now, aged and died now they fast. have like his sort of preserved corpse that's disgusting like a, Oh my god! A town in like the town square or something for yeah, the yeah. He's like a mummy. Yeah, I've I just read this really cool book about like death rituals in different cultures, and I forget where it was. Maybe like Thailand. Uh, but they they do like this thing every year where they like dig up their dead relatives and like clean their bodies and like redress them and mm. uh, like hang out with them for a few days and then put them back away for until the next like festival is it like preserved through the all of the wine (laughs) he pickled himself yeah yeah or or like everyone like sprays him a little bit every year to just be like man fuck that guy pour a little (laughs) a little bit more on him because so he'll never finish yeah Yeah, he's always doomed to be forever in debt oh that's wild yeah so maybe part of it is like part of the festival is it's like customary to give them to People you love and people who have wronged you, but then one bottle for Doug the asshole. Doug the asshole. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. That's an NPC. I want Arnie to write the origin song of Doug the asshole. <laughs> oh, come round, my pretties. I have a tale to tell. I'm Arnie Parrot here to tell the dose so well. <laughs> I mean, that's just extremely great. Is there a way? Uh, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not worth it. Okay. Uh-huh. Lay it was, on me. Lay it on me. I was wondering well. if, if, like, communing with dead people um, and ancestors, like, maybe the idea of drinking the bad stuff uh, or, or drinking any of it. Maybe you're supposed to dream about the dead or something like that. I just like the idea of, like, doing Halloween spooky so that you can talk to dead people. Is maybe there's someone in town who makes like some sort of infused magical yep. bog wine, yep, where you can like mm-hmm. commune with the dead. It's a hallucinogen, <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, Well, no, no, it's not, but everyone's like, Well, I'll try. Mm-hmm. It's like the final day of the festival, yeah. Everyone oh. has a story like where they talk to Doug the asshole and like, Yeah, oh, perfect. Him. Axel is a surname that would be appropriate for this, so. Axel is perfect. You toast the Axel. Oh, um, I'm going to, I found a, like an article about the, this festival. There are pictures of like dead bodies. So I won't share it if you don't want me to. Go ahead. Or I could see it in your don't. glasses. 
<laughs> I can see the death in your glasses. Also, I don't know what this website is. So, and I haven't read the article completely, but <laughs> no it, it, this is from the book. <laughs> so, uh, it's like it was super interesting. I would highly recommend that book. It was a very quick read. Elitereaders.com. Elite readers. Oh, wow. I'm an elite reader. But they're like, they're like not preserved, but they're also not like totally decomposed, you know? Mm. I mean, I guess they're more preserved than not. Wow. Haunting. Hmm. Cool. Okay. That's great. Now let's talk about the spooky sea cave. Spooky ski cave. cave. I think like the sea cave is probably easy enough to reach. Uh, What I want to know from all of you is how long has the church been running this sea cave? Is this place like, do you think it's like remote? And so like, no, then you a lot, You said a lot of ships go through there, so then probably not. I, I say so they do service ships here. That doesn't mean that a lot of them have to pass through here. It might be a thing where this could have used to have been a more popular uh, skyship lane, mm-hmm. and then something happened and it got replaced. Like when like priests and missionaries, like the further they are away and the longer they've been away from the church, like they're probably not up to date on like the latest ceremonies and uh if it's remote and he the this priest hasn't been in touch with the main church in a while, it could be like he could be like super corrupted or he could be like maybe turning away from the church. And depending mm. on that, maybe like the cave itself reflects I think- that. I think you've you've brought up something interesting, Liz. I think we should have a second priest here. Uh, the priest that I've made is incredibly corrupt, but it only makes sense if he's incredibly corrupt, still being close to the church. So I is think a zealot? there should be a priest here who is not corrupt. Oh, what like is that? What? Yeah, this is somebody who like maybe is from this community or has lived with this community for a long time genuinely believes in some of the teachings of the Church of the Slain God and wants to help the people of this community. What, what do we know about this person? G- give me some details. Adrian. Adrian. That's a name. <laughs> it is a name. Starts Characters start with names. Relatively young. If you've ever seen okay. like the movie, I think it's called Silence, like the Scorsese movie about the two priests who go to japan and one's an old priest and one's a young priest sounds mm. thrilling well <laughs> and i honestly haven't seen the I film mean, you said it was a scorsese movie so Scorsese. but yeah she's maybe okay. she's young maybe like her she had a great tragedy and so because of that she turned towards an institution i like that okay so young priest maybe i'm, I'm thinking like 25 yeah mm. In my head, it's kind of like, at least in Florida, there was a big contingent of like kids and teens who got very into church. They they weren't necessarily raised super Christian, but like someone brought them to a youth group once and then they were like, oh, this is my shit 100%. Yeah, so they're like, my friends are, yeah. And then she just kind of made it her life because it helped her get through, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And in the mindset of those like church groups, like she like leads the 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 hymns and the songs, and she's got like an amazing voice. Oh yeah, great. That'll be hard for me to figure out. Great. I like that <laughs> problem for me. 
I mean, that's more of a problem for Arnie because I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking <laughs> of that. <laughs> and she always wears a fox costume. Ooh, what? <laughs> now, that's going to be really popular with our furry listeners. I, you can just call I, them our regular listeners. Yeah. <laughs> if it's yeah, past 51%, just then. then. It's the, <laughs> just, you know, the... Oh. <laughs> uh, I guess I that, I think it's an interesting thing to explore, like that very particular type of growing up where you mm-hmm. be, being young and religious just out of like out of social cues and things. Yeah, like that, that that was that was a huge thing where I grew up. Yeah, like church was just where people would go to hang out with their friends. Why? Do yeah, you so she runs us... like a youth group or something. Yeah, Love she's that. definitely a youth pastor. Hey. Johnny, why'd you just send us Wayne Brady as Wayne the Fox? Wayne Brady as the Fox? Oh, good for Wayne Brady. He's on The Mask Singer. He won. This is just the whole, the, best episode, mask. the whole episode, isn't it? I think it's like a supercut of all of his shit. Look at him. Just everything he's ever done in his whole life? Yeah. All of whose lines? It starts with him doing improv at Sack Comedy Lab in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. And ends with his death. Oh. <laughs> oh. On the set of The Mask Singer. <laughs> That's what the end of the mass singers. Yeah, they kill. You, they kill the winner. They kill the winner. You're supposed to do that. Uh, the last question, Johnny, uh, mm-hmm. the the person that I spoke to you about. Do you have yes. a preference on their gender or anything about them, really? Um, n- no, but two things come to mind. Mm-hmm. One, is it interesting or not interesting if they in some way remind me of Margaret? I, I think that could be interesting. That okay. absolutely could be interesting. Um, and two, if they were to be, I am just always concerned about how I would play someone who is unlike me. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I am comfortable playing someone who is in any sort of like homosexual relationship, whether it's you know, whatever that may be. But also I am like a straight guy. And I don't want to like misrepresent that or anything. And I know that like Lenik wound up going into like places that no one expected. And I think it was okay. I think, Um, I I think it was well done and well handled. And and part of that is it was very natural evolution for the character. And part of the reason that I ask this question is I'm trying to figure out what themes is Johnny uh, willing to entertain and comfortable playing with. And if one of those things is like, Hey, I didn't go through a, you know, four year evolution of this character to really figure out what this character's relationship with sexuality was. Uh, I don't know if I can make them uh, unlike me right away. Like that Mm -hmm. is a totally valid and reasonable answer. So, you know, I still I will place the ball in in your court on that. If there is like if you are more comfortable with with a with a female person, we can make this a female person. I am comfortable with either. I I would, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm doing it right. For sure. For sure. That's my that's my only thing. I mean, I got, you know, we can check in throughout. Uh, sure. If there's a problem. What I'm probably going to do then, I am going to have you describe this person and how they look when we first meet them. Okay. Um, And that way, you know, I, and I, I think I will be like, <laughs> somebody looks like Margaret. Uh, this person reminds you of Margaret. Please describe them. Um, okay. And we'll go through that. Cool. Uh, and Tyler and Liz, did you enjoy being cut out of the conversation? No, Tyler. I, Tyler's on a beach. Yeah. 
Oh I'm no, Tyler learned how to do it. Yeah. Fuck, I hate this. No. Take all the no, time you no. need, motherfuckers. <laughs> You've become too powerful. Okay. Let's do Johnny. some distracting. What have you done? Okay. Uh so with that, then that is pretty much everything I need. I think we've created some wild stuff for this place and I love it. I wanna Dope. have a background. Do it. I don't Coward. know how. Well, learn the skill, Liz. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stop paying attention when other people are talking and explore. But also it's in the drop down menu on the bottom left uh, video settings. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ah. Wow. Wow. It's kind of crazy that Anderson Cooper hosted the mole, huh? Man. Yeah. <laughs> Respected journalist Anderson Cooper. It's pretty crazy all of the wild stuff that they make respected journalist Anderson Cooper do. The the New Year's hosting with Kathy Lee that he had to do for so long. Kathy Griffith. Kathy Griffin? Griffith. Whatever. They're the <laughs> same, I guess. I don't know. They're both named Kathy. I think that like they're friends in real life though. Yes. Well, he did it this year with Andy Cohen. Cause cause Kathy Griffin got uh, ousted. I'm I'm sure it was. Uh, I think I think it was because of she did some Trump thing that people got mad about. Guys, I think I have a great mm. tragedy. I think on the desktop app, I can't change my background. That is oh, impossible. That's, that's got to be impossible. Uh, let's stop recording this and save this. <laughs> I really hope some of you had fun listening to that. Uh, it is a cool peek at how long it takes uh, for me to get to the useful things that we're trying to do because of all of our bits. So let's talk about Nordia from my perspective. For me, Nordia coming off of Bouja Neath, I was really trying to put together an arc that featured Travis in terms of his story. I think in Bouja Neath, Travis features well as a character because he does a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, he had an ongoing bit that was like one of the most fun things that came out of Bouja Neath. Uh, but we really didn't learn much about the character. The character didn't get challenged uh, in, in terms of his growth in Bujanith. Uh, so I wanted to put together an arc where we got to learn about how Travis sees the world and where Travis got to maybe confront some of his impulses and behaviors. So that kind of created uh, the necessity for Margaret. Now, uh, the other thing that I wanted to do was feature some of the content that had been created by our freelancers. Uh, so that is why I brought in Margaret as a Black Lily. You know, I had Travis, who's this very kind of toxic and toxic because he's damaged character. And I wanted to explore kind of a healthy development for a character like that. I think in a lot of media that I see, and even in media that I really enjoy, characters kind of confront their toxic personality traits through really traumatic circumstances, uh, you know, by doing difficult things, by having to overcome their problems in very tense moments. And I think that works great for stories, but I don't think it creates a very healthy view of reality. There's a mentality for people who, you know, face trauma in their everyday life uh, that, you know, all you have to do is grit your teeth and, and get through it and whatnot. And 
I, I, I think this message is, is harmful to a lot of people. And part of that might be driven by stories. You know, we're idolizing these characters who, despite all of these problems, find ways to overcome them at critical moments. And what I think a lot of people need is care and, and treatment and kindness in circumstances where they aren't expected to perform so that when they get to those circumstances where they do need to perform, they have the ability, uh, they have the, like the tool set that they need. They have the, the treatment or therapy that they need to actually confront those difficult things. You know, I might be getting a little lost there, but it was important to me that in the world of Sphere and and in Skyjacks and the story that I was telling to challenge something that I saw that maybe maybe like a story trope that I saw that I think perpetuates toxic ideas. I, I wanted Skyjacks to be a world where people could get access to treatment that they needed in order to facilitate their own growth, in order to create a healthier lifestyle for themselves and the people around them. And I thought Allie Brinkin's Black Lilies were the perfect thing to help me explore something like that. For those that don't know, Allie is a sex worker and a writer, a queer person, and someone who really advocates for sex workers and queer folks. And advocates for sex work in terms of, you know, not just like, political or economic situation, but kind of defending that whole world philosophically. So the Black Lilies engage in sex work not only to survive, but they do it as part of an idealistic action. They are actively trying to make the world a better place and trying to make the world a better place through the ways that sex work makes the world a better place in our world. Ali talked a lot about how healthy perspectives on sex and sexuality lead to a more fulfilling life. Now, I think if you're a queer person in my audience listening to that, uh, that might really resonate with you. Uh, I know that being closeted for me was a really bad emotional environment. And that coming out and being out helped me have a more healthy relationship with myself. But even more than that, more than just talking about sexuality, uh, the ability to communicate with a partner or others about sex also makes me have a more healthy relationship with it. I, I think most of us grow up in societies where sex is a very taboo subject, and that can lead to a lot of probably unintentional negative consequences. And it can really harm a person's relationship with themselves and their own desires. And Ali posits that sex work is a way to actively combat this. A sex worker can create a safe space for someone to explore themselves and find ways to engage with ideas and desires that challenge them safely. And so that's why the Black Lilies are not really just about sex. Even though in my original call for freelancers, I wanted sex work to be centered, the idea of taking sex work and using it to explore 
intimacy and communication and how people connect with one another was just brilliant. And it made for a perfect component to Travis's story. You know, Travis went through this very traumatic event surrounding intimacy. He found it difficult after that event to connect with other people. And, and not even really just because of that event, because of who and what he is. Being an immortal being, he feels like intimacy can only ever lead him to pain. And so he withdraws from it, which is really, really unhealthy way to live. And so I really wanted to bring a Lily into this story and have that Lily work with Travis to challenge some of these demons that Travis was struggling with. And that's really all that I knew that I wanted from it. Uh, a lot of this, you know, depended on communication with Johnny as a player, uh, because sex work is a big topic to talk about. And because sex and sex work is so taboo, it's kind of like a high stress environment for a performer. Uh, you can hear it on Johnny just talking about world building and talking about who Margaret was eventually going to be. You know, we, nobody on this show wants to make a misstep. Nobody on the show wants to hurt anybody. And so big challenging ideas like that even if I'm, you know, happy to take on the challenge, it's it's something that I talk to performers in private about first uh, before deciding to formally bring it into the show. So I, you know, reached out to Johnny on Twitter and basically explained, you know, what the Black Lilies were and that I wanted to make part of Travis's arc encountering a Black Lily. And, you know, Johnny said that he was definitely down for it, probably didn't want to explore the sexual side of Black Lilies for the character, but definitely was comfortable exploring the idea of intimacy and processing trauma and all that. So, you know, that, that that's what I knew. And in the world building session, you know, we I, I asked Johnny like, okay, who is this character going to be? What kind of relationship are you comfortable portraying? And, you know, I left that without anything definitely defined and just decided that, you know, in the moment we would allow Johnny to pick what he felt comfortable with. He knew kind of all the themes that we were juggling and he knew and he knew the general shape of the story that he'd be jumping into. So we ended up with Margaret, a character who really challenged Travis in terms of his trauma surrounding intimacy and compelled him into intimate moments to show him that they could be safe, uh, that they could be healing, and that they could empower him. Uh, there's a lot to be said about like how that coincides with different kink cultures and the feelings that people get from kink. And I, I think probably, you know, because kink is in the mix, like queerness is stirred up in that as well. Th there's a lot going into that story. Um, and I really hope that I represented the core of Allie's ideas well. I, you know, I want to emphasize with the Black Lilies in general, uh, Margaret just represents one order of lilies. It was important to Allie that the lilies not just be one thing. It used to, a very long time ago in Sphere's history, be kind of its own uh, belief structure or, you know, religion. I, I don't really want to say cult because they're in negative connotations. It used to be a group. And after the stars fell, that group lost contact with its disparate parts. And those different communities developed their own ideologies and behaviors and, and powers and belief structures. So Margaret is a Black Lily. She is not 
all black lilies. And, you know, Travis's story, I, I think, went very well from my perspective, and I was very happy with it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to explore in this arc uh, was kind of Jonnet and Jonnet's big overarching story. You know, I had the Mariner as a looming threat in Bujanith, and although I've explained what the Mariner is in those Tales from Sphere side stories, I, I kind of wanted to bring it into the forefront and use this arc to show people through action, you know, this is the danger that the Mariner presents. This is why everyone in the world is kind of frightened of the Mariner and why whenever the Mariner is a threat in the mix, like all of a sudden the stakes are so much higher and, you know, why it's so important that Jonnet has this kind of rivalry with this figure. So, you know, I, I described to the players at the outset of this world building session that they were going to be in a pressure cooker. The, the idea was always that the Mariner was going to come to this place and the Uhuru wouldn't simply have the freedom to leave. I wanted that so Jonnet could kind of really confront the fear of the situation that he was in and also ultimately give him an opportunity to step up and advocate for that future that, you know, he knows that he is destined to have. And, you know, sort of challenge the fact that although he has this bone-deep certainty of who he's going to be, sort of look at, well, what are the costs that you could incur along the way to that version of yourself? And, you know, how are you going to manage those costs and how comfortable are you with them? You know, it was a big hero arc for Jonnet where Jonnet kind of got to establish like different things that he believes, uh, even in situations where it is difficult to believe those things. Over on Gable's side, uh, I didn't have much laid out for Gable apart from the fact that the church was going to be here. Liz did a lot of asking in Bujanith about the church and where the church might be. I wasn't ready to like play that hand yet. And I felt like this situation, this pressure cooker situation, was a really cool way to investigate the church. And you can hear at the beginning of this world building session, my ideas about what I was going to do are a lot less complicated than they ended up being. You know, I knew I wanted to have Lorenzo Arenzi, this corrupt church official, come in, ask the people of this town for things, but not offer them anything substantive in return. And like be really reticent to do things that should be his role because he approaches his beliefs with cynicism. He doesn't really believe anything uh, about the Church of the Slain God except for the power that they have. And in creating Adrian Helvig, my players allowed me to make it a much more complicated discussion. You know, it's one thing to look at a church or a large organized religion cynically because of things that maybe the governing body of that religion does. But I, I think from a political perspective, we know that the things like governments don't really represent the people who empower countries. And although you might have church officials who are treating their faith very cynically, there are a lot of worshipers and, you know, even individual members of that church who don't see the world cynically and actually get a lot of value out of those beliefs. 
I based a lot of this on Catholicism because I am a Catholic person and also, you know, Catholicism has played a heavy role in imperialism and colonialism and done a lot of damage to the world. But, you know, I know a lot of people in my family and in my life who get a lot of meaning out of their spirituality and their religion is Catholicism. And belief is very complicated in that way. So juxtaposing Lorenzo and Adrian is something that, you know, was provided to me by my players because, you know, they asked for this other figure. And I think it worked out really well. And it was a really interesting thing for Gable to be around, uh, you know, and Jonnet. Jonnet really kind of climbed into that story, too, which I, I think is definitely OK, because Gable, you know, killed God. And so the idea of resisting something that isn't working is a big part of Gable's story, especially because it has this very complex relationship. And, you know, Adrian was practicing elements of uh, the church that were harming the people around her. Uh, I, I didn't get to explore that fully, and I'll, I'll talk about that later when I get to your questions. Uh, but, you know, she, she was doing these things that, you know, maybe didn't work and pushing these beliefs that were actually hurting her and the people around her. But she, I, I hope I showed that she still led a warm and positive community that were brought together around their faith and that this faith definitely provided a substantive benefit to Adrian as a person and the people in her congregation and sort of separating out, okay, what is damaging? What is toxic? In what ways are we allowing powerful people to predate on ourselves? Uh, and in what ways are we, you know, creating substantive things that we really appreciate and benefit from. Uh, it became a very complicated conversation that I think informs definitely Gable's journey and will inform a lot of Jonnet's journey as, you know, people start to turn to him as a leader, um, as a figure that they believe in. And he has to contend with not only his vision for himself, but other people's vision for him as he grows up and, and comes to control this power that he has. Finally, uh, we get to the captain. I already talked a lot about this with Dominique, and I don't want to rehash a lot of that discussion, especially because I don't have my cultural consultant on hand. And I feel more comfortable talking through a lot of these issues uh, with someone who has a lot of knowledge and experience and, and guidance in the room alongside me. I do want to point out that, you know, this was not originally going to be the arc that the captain kind of fully reclaimed himself. I, I became fully aware of this issue with Oromar's story around right before the fight uh, that we have um, in, in this arc, maybe like one or two recordings before. I, I'm not sure the exact split, but we made the decision to go find a cultural consultant and, you know, figure out how to address this issue mid-arc. Uh, so there were some changes. One thing that I, I don't know if it was clear in the conversation with Dominique, but like, Oromar was always going to be coming back. Uh, Oromar, like I had decided that Oromar was somehow haunting his own body. 
all the way back in the civility arc. Uh, what changed with becoming aware of this issue and uh, seeking the help of a cultural consultant was how we treated that story and kind of the complexity that we're going to lend to it and the investigation that we're going to give it in our future arcs. But we also wanted to make sure that we ended our current arc with like giving this character his agency back in a very palpable way. So that moved the timeline up. It didn't change the overall plan so much. And that's because like, you know, even if I'm a big dummy who needs something like the problem that we had with Oromar to be explained to me, like, you know, I, I had originally, when we didn't know what the captain was, I had imagined the idea of a bumbling or cruel captain, and it wasn't a big tragedy that, you know, he died and people were moving his body around. As soon as Oromar became a black character, I became intensely uncomfortable with that idea, and Oromar became more impressive and heroic because I wanted the character to have a lot of substance and I wanted the character's story to be really cool in its own right. So all that's to say like the events that that unfolded in Nordia and the the shape that they unfolded I I think ended up working really well even if it wasn't something I was expecting to happen at the beginning of the arc. That's why I think you'll notice in the early bits of the Nordia arc like the captain is not really center stage. Uh, he's he's not on screen much because I am much more invested in exploring like the other character stories more than I am with the captain, especially, you know, without Dref around. I, I was much more invested in exploring the other character stories and, you know, having this impetus to bring the captain back center stage. I think ended up working really well because the captain wasn't on screen for most of the arc. You know, you kind of forget that he's around and all of a sudden you come to this big confrontation and he steps into the middle of the battlefield and you go, oh my goodness, I wasn't even thinking about the captain. Why is he seemingly moving all on his own? And what does that mean for what he's been doing this whole time? Okay, uh, so with that, that, that is kind of the end of the thoughts that I really wanted to get to uh, about this. So I'm going to spend some time and answer just a few questions uh, so that we feel like we had an adequate episode uh, and, you know, like we had some fun together. So Adira Slattery asks a very critical question. When can we buy Uhuru spoons? Uh that is a dope thing that I didn't even think of. I do think our podcast audience needs to be larger uh, to justify the expense of creating an object like that. So the answer to that is when y'all can, uh, through word of mouth, help us grow the podcast, get us more listeners uh, so we can afford to take the risk of making a huru spoons. Uh, this one actually comes to us from Allie Brinken, uh, the creator of the Black Lilies. For the authentic Nordia experience, what can we mix up at the bar that will give us the impression of what bog wine tastes like? Oh boy, this is a interesting question. Uh, I will say I am not a super fan of cranberries, uh, and I kind of have a belief that if you don't love a thing, it's not 
the best idea for your ideas to be at the center of celebrating that thing. Because like if I were tasked with making a drink involving cranberry, I would probably be removing some of the valuable essence of cranberry from a cranberry-centered drink, right? So take this with with a grain of salt. Um, I, I did mention the idea of a of akavit being an important part of Nordian culture. We really didn't get to explore that, um, but like that is something that I was kind of drawing on from like real sailing history. Akavit specifically aged on ships. Uh, these barrels would be kept on ships and. That became very important to their aging process. Uh, and like I, I kind of wanted that reflected in the uh, identity of Nordia. Nordia used to be set on a cape. So back before the stars fell, like it was a big sailing town and it sort of shifted into a big and it sort of shifted into a big sky shipping town because a lot of the infrastructure was already there. And a lot of the inspiration for Nordia came from Scandinavian culture just because of the name that was chosen for it. Like Nordia, I felt like Norway, northern countries, generally speaking. So I drew in kind of like a pan-Scandinavian like perspective for uh, different cultures. And Akavit is a Scandinavian liqueur and has a tie to Scandinavian sailing culture. So like it just felt like a real slam dunk. Uh, so I would say cranberry juice and Akavit are very critical. I generally try to avoid using vodka as a base spirit in mixing just because vodka really, and this is a little snooty of me, vodka mostly just adds alcohol content and volume to a drink. Uh, very rarely does it bring its own flavor because cranberry is such a strong note and Akavit is like a very complex liqueur. I think you could probably get away with vodka. So those those would be my, my primary ingredients. Uh, and it's all experimentation from there. You know, Bogwine, I don't think there is a single path to Bogwine. If I was making a Bogwine cocktail, I would probably roll the dice and use gin because that is, you know, a, a less neutral spirit, a more herbaceous. I think it would complement the Aquavit and it would be a challenge with the cranberry. And one of the great things about Aquavit is, or one of the great things about uh, Bogwine is it can be bad. So that's fine. I don't think that's a real answer for the question. Those are the directions that I'm thinking. I am open to seeing what other people's interpretation of Bogwine could be. Uh, if you experiment at home and you're not successful, that's fine. You've really just succeeded in creating bad bog wine. Uh, this one comes to us from Paxton Clifford. They ask, uh, I feel like so many real world holidays have kissing traditions. Is there a kissing tradition for Boganalia? Uh, so Boganalia is a holiday and a drinking holiday. You know, it does make sense to me that there would be kind of a kissing uh, romance and, and sexual component to this holiday or like sub-tradition. I think that uh, what it is, is you can take a bottle of good bog wine 
And bog wine is, you know, something normally that you share with people that you know. Uh, you know, it, it's there to like uh, cement the good memories uh, with people that you love and have good time with, or bury the hatchet with people that you have bad memories with, whether you love them or hate them. You know, it, it's it's something that you share with people who are already in your life. I like the idea of taking a bottle of good bog wine to a stranger. Um, basically is an offering of, hey, let's make a good memory together. Um, I definitely think there is a kissing-related subcomponent to that of, like, you are some young swain walking around with a good bottle of bog wine. You can place it in front of somebody who catches your eye and say, hey, let's make a memory together. And you know, it's a festival. People are celebrating. Uh, a few people might run off together. This is not a heterosexual thing at all. Uh, like there's no stigma around queerness in sphere. So I like the idea that, you know, anyone of any gender, like when somebody catches their eye during Bogganalia, they have the option of getting some good bog wine. And it's like, hey, this is a culturally like protected and supported way to approach somebody. It's not a thing where somebody is invading your space with with a proposition or or something uncomfortable like that. Like there are culturally defined ways of like, hey, this is how I can ask about something like this and approach a stranger in in a public place. And, you know, that that person also has the ability, like, these are the ways to gracefully decline such an invitation. But yeah, I picture people of all sorts, you know, taking around good bottles of bog wine uh, and using it to introduce themselves to people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that works out in all sorts of ways. Uh, you know, so maybe it's multiple people. Maybe it's couples. Uh, it seems like uh, it is a very fun thing of, hey, let's make a memory together. Um, and I'm sure there are your, your Trist's Valentine who will approach people with bad bottles of bog wine and be like, hey, let's make some memory that we regret together, too. Yeah. You know, it's a party holiday. It's a little gross, uh, but it's also like fun for the same reasons. Um, so yeah, this one comes to us from Spider. If you could go back and change any decision you made in the Nordia arc, what would they be? <sighs> you know, I, I feel a lot of anxiety around combat, uh, and, uh, the time it takes to get through certain arcs. Nordia, I had pictured again as being kind of a shorter arc, especially following Bujanith. It ended up basically doubling the length of the show. So it was not only the length of Bujanith, but the length of Bujanith and the civility arc. Uh, you know, it was just a very, very long time. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think I actually regret any of the things that happened. I don't feel like the arc dragged. I feel like everything that we showed was important. Things that I kind of regret are the organization I had surrounding combat. I think there are a lot of interesting threads that ended up getting dropped because the combat had to unfold over multiple play sessions. I wasn't focused and on top of all of those disparate elements throughout the entire thing, I think I could have run that combat tighter if I had given myself better notes, if I had taken more time to reacquaint myself with what was going on. You know, that, that, that said, like, that, that is a minor regret and is kind of a technical regret. I, I don't think the story was 
hurt necessarily. I, I just think it could have been better. I love describing combats. I love making sort of complex situations. I don't feel really good about uh, my grips of tactical elements in, in combat. Like that's never really been a strength of mine as a game master. So I pretty much always feel weird about heavily mechanical combat situations. But yeah, that is like a thing that that would be okay for me to change or that, that I, you know, if I was had all the time and resources in the world, I might have changed. Clayton said, if I understood the description correctly, the Mariner possessed and took over the body of La Llorona when, oh, haha, <laughs> there's a thing I would have changed. I would have pronounced La Llorona uh, properly from the beginning. Uh, pretty embarrassing. Um, <laughs> you know, whenever you draw on uh, a folktale from another culture, uh, you'd it, it, you don't want to mess up any part of it because you're trying to be respectful. I think uh, the making La Llorona like part of the Mariners group, I think fits uh, that folktale character's themes very well. Uh, and I, I think kind of honors the inherent spookiness of a figure like La Llorona. Um, but it was not great that I uh, cannot pronounce things uh, or read things properly to save my life. Anyway, the Mariner possessed and took over the body of La Llorona when confronting Jonnet. Uh, was he wearing her dress the whole time? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, so I think because like La Llorona also took over the body of a drowned sailor to move around on like the the sort of wall of Nordia the thing that exists in there is the Mariner and his heralds have the ability to sort of travel through their connection to the Mariner's Mark and people who are afflicted by it kind of sacrifice that person's body and soul in order to take over and, you know, bring themselves physically into that person's body. So when La Llorona took over that drowned sailor, like her body replaced the drowned sailor's body. That's why, you know, she had the dress. And when the Mariner, uh, La Llorona, I will make clear, is, is not dead through this action because of like a you know, she's a herald. She's too important to have died this way. When the Mariner uh, took over La Llorona's body, he like replaced her body with his. Um, and the Mariner doesn't so much have a body as like a collection of all of the people that he's ever harmed and like all of the terrible things that he stands for. Uh, so, you know, he looked kind of like a skeletal desiccated corpse. And I think if you see the Mariner at different points, uh, he might look slightly different from time to time. You know he's the Mariner because he projects kind of like the malice and, you know, evil that that is contained within the idea of the Mariner. Uh, so, yeah. Like, I guess the Mariner probably actually swaps his location for the location of his heralds. And whenever the Mariner moves through someone who is not a herald or a herald moves through, you know, a drowned sailor, they just destroy the person's body and soul for, for the convenience of that movement. 
Do you pull, uh, this one comes to us from Nate. Uh, do you pull luminaries when deciding on themes for a game location or do you freeform it? Uh, so uh, like you'll be able to hear in our world building session that uh, no, we, we don't pull on themes. Like generally speaking uh, for the past few arcs, I have known kind of what goals I needed to get out of the arc, who I wanted to feature and what resources I wanted to give the crew and a few of the challenges that the crew was going to face. So, you know, I, I haven't needed uh, luminaries for that. I, I think they would be a perfectly serviceable tool for doing that sort of thing. I really use luminaries when I don't know what should happen next because luminaries carry all of the themes of the world within themselves. So they pretty much always provide you the correct solution uh, when you draw on them. Uh, so really, that's a tool for getting stuck. And so far in creating new arcs, I haven't been stuck. What luminary pull do you think had the most impact on the story? Wow. Well, that is a combination of the butcher when Travis lost his hand and the crit that Gable got on the heel, but, uh, you know, actually failing to heal the injury. Um, because Travis was not supposed to lose a hand in this arc. Uh, Travis was not supposed to be hurt at all going into this uh, conversation with Margaret. You know, I had mentioned in the character in, in the world building session that this arc was spring because we were going to see Travis's snake form and Margaret stopping time, making the three days of Nordia all one day uh, or the three days of Baganalia all one day. Uh, made it so that Travis was always in his human form during that time, which kind of defeats the purpose of making it spring to see Travis be a snake. Uh, that is not something that we planned on at all. They are just different elements that happen to fall into place because of each other. Like the butcher made it so that the sacrifice Travis had to be make was like bloody and terrible. And, you know, Johnny made the decision to, to lose a hand because uh, we had done too much eye damage uh, too recently. And like the butcher kind of demands something be gruesome. And Travis as a character has the freedom to take damage like this because he is a changeling. Like losing a hand uh, does not mean the same thing to Travis that it means to uh, a person who can't grow a hand back. So it, it was an opportunity for us to make the situation feel a little larger than life, kind of underscore the themes of the butcher and the cost of a prayer to the luminaries and that sort of thing. Then Gable, with this crit and failure kind of mixing together, made the situation a lot more complicated. I looked at that die roll and went, okay, whatever Gable does, like before the die roll, actually, I was like, it doesn't matter what happens here because I have Margaret in the town. And I know that Margaret has the ability to heal Travis because... I wanted, you know, black lilies to have magic power uh, and for that to express itself in both physical and emotional healing because I wanted to establish those as two equally important concepts. 
And, you know, there, there is a whole other wing to black lilies that is reproductive health. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted all that to be mixed in there. I was like, okay, so I've got this healer in town. It doesn't matter what happens here. And then Gable failed with a crit, which was not something I was expecting. And I was like, okay, I got to honor the power of this crit. And I have to also accept that this character didn't succeed. And in my mind, that meant that Gable had to like have this divine power to cure a curse, like a powerful curse inflicted by a luminary, um, you know, in a situation where Gable can crit on a roll. You know, it created a very complicated problem. Uh, obviously, the damage that had to be uh, healed for Travis was quite severe. And it kind of led to this situation where Travis was going to be a man the whole time. Uh, so, yeah, that was a bunch of unexpected things that kind of like came together and I think ended up really well. This comes to us from Knife Patron. I'm assuming Travis losing his hand wasn't planned. So how soon after did you decide that uh, Margaret was going to show up? Uh, also, well, I mean, you know, that I kind of already answered. Also, did the God Killer Gable reveal and Trable Kiss just come up in the moment, or did y'all already know that this was going to be the arc for it? Oof, boy. God Killer Gable. I did not know this was going to be the arc for it. Uh, you know, we had left with that big cliffhanger at the end of the last arc of, you know, Hildred saw that Gable killed God and that caused like this really emotional situation. Uh, and Gable has since been carrying around this really heavy burden. You know, I wanted to have them kind of sit with that and dwell on that. It just felt right at the time that it happened you know uh some people said that i was i was pretty blasé about a major character reveal like that it just felt like circumstances had gotten to the point where the coolest way to display gable's power in this moment was to reveal to the audience that they had killed god um so yeah you know that that kind of happened accidentally the treble kiss uh is a complete accident. Gable had become a very important part of Travis's arc. And the way this arc unfolded for both of those characters, like, you know, after after we looked into their past and saw the relationship they had together over, you know, 200 years, uh, they were obviously very important and close to each other. And I definitely wanted to leave this arc with Travis and Gable understanding that they are friends now and that they are not really running away from that friendship anymore. The intimacy of that relationship really deepened the more we explored it, the more they talked to each other, uh, the more Travis like talked about it alone. When Gable talked to Margaret individually, it just became clear that the emotions surrounding this relationship were intense and very deep and very important to both of those characters, which made Gable's decision to uh, mislead Travis like a very deep and pivotal decision. Like, and that's something that we kind of realized in the moment too. Uh, when uh, Liz was 
you know, playing Gable, talking to Margaret and kind of made it clear that that she intended for Gable to mislead Margaret in that conversation uh, or, or, or that, 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 that uh, Gable left that conversation with the knowledge that Margaret could not help them and then intentionally kind of misled Travis. Like it made that a huge betrayal that was like kind of indicative of the ways uh, these two's like fear of intimacy had hurt themselves and each other throughout their history together, which, you know, ultimately led to this moment where they were on the stairs fighting each other and tangled up in this uh, thread, this metaphor for their relationship. Like that fight there, that scene between the two of them is an expression of the ways in which their relationship was toxic. I mean, like, Travis literally poisoned Gable, uh, the ways it is harmful. They, they are fighting each other and, and hurting each other. Um, and the ways in which it is so close and intimate, they are bound together and pulled together by that relationship in that moment. And what I asked for the players was a gesture to resolve those feelings, to, to uh, bring the truth out into the open to affirm the positive aspects of that relationship and resolve all of this negativity and toxicity. And Johnny and Liz ultimately decided that uh, a good one to do that would be a kiss. Now, what this means for the characters moving forward, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of that is open for audience interpretation. Uh, there's somebody uh, who, who mentioned uh, the idea of a queer platonic relationship uh, for Gable and Travis. Uh, you know, that is a fascinating idea. I think there are a lot of uh, shippers who are just ready, like uh, for full on romance, you know, uh, anything can happen in the background of the show. I, I don't know how much of a romance between those characters we're going to be exploring fully on screen. But I think the important thing to take away from it is that uh, these two characters who have this deep and complicated history together are not frightened of their intimacy anymore. And they know they have a deep understanding of the ways in which that fear has hurt them in the past. Uh, so something like romance would be something that they would be, you know, in prime position to explore. I, I also know that, you know, Liz uh, was talking about Gable and uh, approaches to romance with Gable as being, you know, I'll find a new person in every port. And Travis also has this, you know, important relationship with Margaret that has a lot of romantic elements to it. I am somebody who loves portraying uh, queer relationships of all type. I, I consider uh, polyamorous relationships to be part of a queer spectrum. And I'm all in for poly shipping and, and all that. Uh, but really, uh, basically, I'm going to let the performers lead the way for their characters. You know, I, I think there is enough meat there uh, for people who, you know, find that relationship very important and find that relationship uh, very important in a romantic capacity uh, that you can kind of explore and enjoy what's going on however you like. But yeah, uh, to answer the question, all completely unexpected and happenstance. And that's what makes this show alive and, and so very cool. This one comes to us from Neum, I think. Uh, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. 
but it's also a Twitter handle. So there is a, the outside chance that that isn't your actual name. And I've just mispronounced a Twitter handle, which is more acceptable, uh, but not completely. Not exactly about the Nordia arc, uh, but for math reasons, uh, do days all year round have 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night? Has everything kind of evened out since the season stopped being recognizable? Um, no, no. Uh, I, I think it still kind of moves and shifts according to the laws that normally govern uh, how like day and night shifts. So like winter will have longer nights, summer will have longer days. Um, that just ships uncontrollably. And, you know, one day it might uh, shift in the middle of the day. So the sun rises really early in the morning because it's summer and then sets really early in the afternoon because all of a sudden it's winter or, or fall. Uh, you know, and the reason I haven't uh, gone like this is a strict separation or whatever is uh, it's going to be more fun if Travis's transformations are unpredictable in certain circumstances. So that's why I'm doing that. I, I also just think uh, if things are messier, it feels more like folktales. Okay, uh, there are a lot of really great questions here. I've already gone for an hour of recording that'll probably edit down to be a little less than an hour, but you also have the discussion that we have for world building. So, you know, I, I feel like this is this is good and solid. Option, um, and I'm going to do uh, this one because I, I think it'll be pretty easy. What happened to the heart bell of uh, Il Sanguadio? This... Uh, I, I, it should be easy. Like, I think the heart bell is still there. I think this question might be referring to, you know, what was the deal with that fallen skin that was slung over that bell? Basically what was going on. I, I hope I communicated this, but I could see how it might be unclear. Uh, Lorenzo or somebody that Lorenzo knew used reliquy magic, used this part of a fallen's body to perform a spell on the heart bell. The, the heart bell of the ship became symbolic of the ship and the skin itself became uh, symbolic of the difficulty of perceiving an angel. So the spell that was on the heart bell is what made it difficult for Gable to see what was going on inside the ship from the outside. And, you know, that is Lorenzo maybe is not the type of person who has a lot of enemies, but he is somebody who plans on having a lot of enemies because, you know, he had aspirations of, of climbing higher in the church and he knew the political game very well. He was hedging his bets and preventing people from spying on him. So that's what was going on with that bell. That's why it was so creepy and terrible. Uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, keep those gory horror elements in there because I, I think that is a thing that is inherent to a lot of folk tales and fairy tales is sometimes they just get real grisly. Anyway, uh, that's all for this. I, I hope you enjoyed this. I, I hope this provided you some respite. I also hope that Casey was, uh, you know, enjoyed this time off because I, I think, you know, he needs it and, and deserves it, as, as do all of you. 
Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. And uh, we- The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like. And then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery. We'll see you next time.